Hello, this is the Flirtations Live to Tape Podcast. I am current, I, this is going to be the first episode that I released that is both on uh, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts, so all the new listeners, I want to say welcome. I'm also going to be running an NFT sale uh, from photographs that I use on uh, Live to Tape from Flirtations, so if you check the links below, you can uh, find uh, the NFT links there and more social links, and all the good stuff. So let's continue. We're reading the Junior Classics Volume 1, Fairy and Wonder Tales, and we're picking up from where we left off. He Who Knew Not Fear, by Anonymous. A certain father had two sons, the elder of whom was sharp and sensible, and could do everything but the younger, could do everything, but the younger was stupid and could neither learn nor understand anything, and when people saw him, they said, There's a fellow who will give his father some trouble. When anything had to be done, it was always the elder who was forced to do it. But if his father bade him fetch anything when it was late or in the or in night time, and the way led through the churchyard or any other dismal place, he answered, Oh, no, father, I will not go there. It makes me shudder, for he was afraid. Or when stories were told... By the fire at night, which made the flesh creep, the listener often said, Oh, it makes us shudder, and the younger sat in the corner and listened with the rest of them, and could not imagine what they could mean. They always, they are always saying, It makes me shudder, it makes me shudder, it does not make me shudder, thought he. That too must be an art of which I understand nothing. Now he came to pass that his father said to him one day, Hearken to me, thou fellow in the corner there, thou art glowing tall and strong, and thou too must learn something by which thou canst earn thy living. Look how thy brother works, but do not even earn thy salt. Well, father, he replied, I am quite willing to learn something indeed, if it could be managed. I should like to learn how to shudder. I don't understand it at all. The elder brother smiled when he heard that, and thought to himself, Good God, what a blockhead that brother of mine is. He will never be good at anything, as long as he lives. He who wants to be a sickle must must bend himself betimes. The father sighed and answered him, Thou shalt soon learn what it is to suffer, but thou wilt not learn thy living by that. Soon after this, the sexton came to the house on a visit, and the father bewailed his trouble, and told him how his younger son was so backward in every respect that he knew nothing and learned nothing. Just think, said he. When I asked him how he was going to earn bread, he actually wanted to learn to shudder. If that be all, replied the sexton, he can learn that with me. Send him to me, and I will soon polish him. The father was glad to do it, for he thought... It will train the boy a little. The sexton therefore took him into his house, and he had to ring the bell. After a day or two, the sexton woke him up at midnight and bade him arise and go up into the church tower and ring the bell. Thou shalt soon learn what shuddering is, thought he, and secretly went there before him. And when the boy was at the top of the tower and turned around, and what just going to take hold of the bell rope, he saw a white figure standing on the stairs opposite him to the sounding hole. Who's there? he cried. 
But the figure made no reply, and did not move or stir. Give an answer, cried the boy, or take thyself off. Thou hast no business here to-night. The sexton, however, remained standing motionless, that the boy might think he was a ghost. The boy cried a second time, What dost thou want here? Speak if thou art out an honest fellow, or I will throw thee down the steps. The sexton thought he can't intend to be as bad as his words uttered no sound, and stood as if he were made of stone. Then the boy called to him for the third time, and as that was also to no purpose, he ran against him and pushed the ghost down the stairs, so that it fell down ten steps, remained lying there in the corner. Thereupon he rang the bell and went home, without saying a word, went to bed, and fell asleep. The sexton's wife waited a long time for her husband, but he did not come back. At length she became uneasy, and wakened the boy, and asked, Dost thou know where my husband is? He went up to the tower before thou did. No, I didn't, don't know, replied the boy, but someone was standing by the sounding hole on the other side of the steps, and as he would neither give an answer nor go away, I took him for a scoundrel and threw him down the stairs. Just go there, and you will see if it was he. I should be sorry if it were. The woman ran away, and found her husband, who was lying moaning in the corner, and had a broken leg. She carried him down, and then, with loud screams, she hastened to the boy's father. Your boy, cried he, has been the cause of great misfortune. He has thrown my husband down the steps, and made him break his leg, take the good-for-nothing fellow away from our house. The father was terrified, and ran hither and scolded the boy. What wicked tricks are these, said he. The devil must have put you into thy head. Father, he replied, do listen to me. I am quite innocent. He was standing there by night like one who is intending to do some evil. I did not know who it was, and I entreated him three times either to speak or to go away. Ah, said the father, I have nothing but unhappiness with thee. Go out of my sight, and I will see thee no more. Yes, father, write willingly. Wait only until it is day. Then I will go forth and learn how to shudder, and then I shall, at any rate, understand one art which will support me. Learn what thy will, spanked the father. It is all the same to me. Here are fifty thalers for thee. Take these and go into the wide world, and tell no one of whence there comest, and who is thy father, for I have reason to be ashamed of thee. Yes, father, it is small be as you will. If you desire nothing more than that, I can easily keep it in my mind. When day dawned, there was the boy put his fifty dollars into his pocket, and went forth on the great highway, and continually said to himself, If I could but shudder, I could but shudder. The man approached who heard this conversation, with which the young, which the youth was holding with himself, and when they had walked a little further, to where they could see the gallows, the man said to him, Look, there is the tree where seven men have married the rope-maker's daughter, and are now learning how to fly. Sit down below it, and wait till the night comes, and thou wilt soon learn how to shudder. If that is all that is wanted, answered the youth, It is easily done, but if I am to learn how to shudder as quickly as that, thou shalt have my fifty thalers. Just come back to me early in the morning. Then the young, then the youth went to the gallows, sat down below it, and waited till evening came. 
and as he was cold he lighted himself a fire, but at midnight the wind blew so sharp that in spite of the fire he could not get warm, and as the wind knocked and ha knocked the hanged men against each other, and they moved backward and forward, he thought to himself, Thou shivers below by the fire, but how those above me freeze and suffer. And he felt pity for them. He raised the ladder and climbed up and unbound one of them after the other, and brought down all seven. Then he stirred the fire, blew it, and set them all around to warm themselves. But they sat there and did not stir, and the fire caught their clothes. And so he said, Take care, or I will hang you up again. The dead men, however, did not hear, and were quite silent, and let their rags go on burning. On he grew, on this he grew angry, and said, If you will not take care, I cannot help you. I will not be burned with you. And he hung them up again, each in his turn. Then he sat down by the fire and fell asleep. And the next morning the man came to him, and wanted to have the fifty thalers, and said, Well, dost thou know how to shudder? No, answered he. How was I to get to know? Those fellows out there did not open their mouths, and were so stupid that they let their few old rags which they had on their bodies get burned. Then the man saw that he would not carry away the fifty thalers that day, and went on, went away, saying, One of this kind has never come in my way before. The youth likewise went his, went his way, and once more began to mutter to himself, Ah, if I could but shudder! Ah, if I could but shudder! A wagoner who was striding behind him heard that, and asked, Who art thou? I don't know, answered the youth, though a wagoner asked, From where, from whence comest thou? I do not know. Who is thy father? That I may not tell thee. What is thou art? Always muttering between thy breath. Ah, replied the youth, I do so which I could shudder, but no one can teach me how to do it. Give up thy foolish chatter, said the wagoner. Come go with come go with me, I will see about a place for thee. The youth went with the wagoner, and in the evening they arrived in an inn where they wished to pass at the night. They at the entrance of the room the youth again said quite loudly, If I could but shudder, if I could but shudder. The host who heard that laughed and said, If thou is what you desire, there ought to be a good opportunity for you here. Ah, be silent, said the hostess. So many inquisitive persons have already lost their lives. It would be a pity and a shame if such beautiful eyes as these should never see the light of day again. But the youth said, However difficult it may be, I will learn it, and for this purpose indeed I have journeyed forth. He let the host have no rest until the latter told him that not far from whence stood the haunted castle, where any one could very easily learn what shuddering was, if he could but watch it and watch it for three nights, the king had promised that he who would venture this should have his daughter to wife, and she was the most beautiful maiden the sun shone on. Great treasuries likewise lay in the castle, which were guarded by evil spirits, and these creatures would then be freed, and would make a poor, a poor man rich enough. Already many men had gone into the castle, but as yet none had come out again. 
Then the youth went on the next morning to the king, and said that if he were allowed, he would watch the knights in the enchanted castle. The king looked at him, and the youth pleased him. He said, Thou mayest ask for thee things to make to take into the castle with thee, but they must be things without life. Then he answered, Then I ask for a fire, a turning lathe, and a cutting board with the knife. The king had these things carried into the castle for him during the day. When the night was drawing near, the youth went up and made himself a bright fire in one of the rooms, placed the cutting board and knife beside it, and seated himself by the turning lathe. Ah, I could but shudder, said he, but I am not to learn here either. Toward midnight he was about to poke his fire, and he was blowing it, and something cried suddenly from one corner. Ah, Mao, how cold we are, you simpleton, he cried he, what are you crying about? If you are cold, come and take a seat by the fire, and warm yourselves. And when he had said that, two great black cats came, one with one tremendous leap, and sat down on each side of him. They looked savagely at him with their fiery eyes. After a short time, when they had warmed themselves, they said, Comrade, shall we have a game at cards? Why not, he replied, but just show me your paws. Then he stretched out, Then they stretched out their claws. Oh, said he, what long nails you have. Wait, I must first cut them a little for you. Thereupon he seized them by the throats and put them on the cutting board and skewered their feet fast. I have looked at your fingers, said he, and my fancy for card playing has gone. And he struck them dead as he threw them out into the water. But when he had made away with these two and was about to sit down again by the fire, out of every hole and corner came black cats and black dogs with red-hot chains, and more and more of them came until he could no longer stir, and they yelled horribly and got on his fire, pulled it to pieces, and wanted to put it out. He watched them for a while quietly, but at last, when they were going too far, he seized his cutting knife and cried, Ah, away with ye, vermin, and began to cut them down. Part of them ran away, and the others he killed and threw out into the fish pond. When he came back, he blew up the embers of his fire again and warmed himself. And as he thus sat, his eyes would keep open no longer, and he felt a desire to sleep. Then he looked around and saw a great bed in the corner, that it was very, the very thing for me, said he, and got into it. When he just... When he was just going to shut his eyes, however, the bed began to move of its own accord and went over the whole of the castle. That's right, said he, but go faster. Then the bed rolled on, rolled on as if six horses were harnessed to it, and down and over thresholds and steps. But suddenly, hop, hop, it turned over upside down and lay him like a mountain. But he threw quilts and pillows up, in the air and got out and said now anyone who likes that may drive and lay down by his fire and slept until it was day in the morning the king came and when he saw him lying there on the ground he thought the spirits had killed him and he was dead then he said after all it is a pity he is a handsome man the youth heard it and got up and said it has not come to that yet then the king was astonished but very glad and asked how he had fared. 
Very well indeed, answered he. One night is over, the two others will get over likewise. Then he went to the innkeeper, who opened his eyes very wide and said, I never expected to see thee alive again. Haste, thou learned how to shudder yet? No, said he, it is all in vain, if someone would but tell me. The second night he again went up into the old castle, sat down by the fire, and once more began his old song. If I could but shudder, when the midnight came, and an uproar and noise of tumbling about was heard, at first it was low, but in, but it grew louder and louder. Then it was quiet for a while, and at length, with a loud scream, half a man came down the chimney and fell before him. Hello, he cried. Another half belongs to this. This is too little. Then the uproar began again, and there was a roaring and howling, and the other half fell down likewise. Wait, said he, I will just blow up the fire a little for thee. When he had done that, he looked around again. The two pieces were joined together, and a frightful man was sitting in his place. It, that, that is no part of our bargain, said the youth. The bench is mine. The man wanted to push him away. The youth, however, could not allow that, but burst, thrust him off with all his strength, and seated himself again. In his own place, they still, then still more men fell down, and one after the other, they brought nine dead men's legs and two skulls, and set them up, and playing nine pins with them. The youth also wanted to play, and said, Hark, will you, can I join you? Yes, if thou hast any money. Money enough, replied he, but your balls are not quite round. Then he took the skulls, and put them on the lathe, and turned them till they were round. There, now they will roll better, said he. Hurrah, now it goes merrily. He played with them, and lost some, some of his money. But when it struck twelve, everything vanished from his sight. He lay down, and quietly fell asleep. Next morning the king came to inquire after him. How has it fared with thee this time? he asked. I have been playing at ninepence, he answered, and have lost a couple of farthings. Hast thou not shuddered then? Eh, what? said he. I have made merry, if I did not know what it was to shudder. The third night he sat down again on his bench, and said quite sadly, If I could but shudder, when it grew late, six tall men in a brought coffin, brought a coffin. Then said he, Ha ha, that is actually certainly my little cousin, who only died a few days ago. And he beckoned with his finger and cried, Come, little cousin, come. They placed the coffin on the ground, but he went to it and took the lid off, and a dead man lay there in it. He felt his face, but it was cold as ice. Stop, said he, I will warm thee a little, and went to the fire and warmed his hand and lay it on the dead man's face, but he remained cold. Then he took him out and sat down by the fire and laid him on his breast and rubbed his arms that the blood might circulate again. As this also did no good, he thought to himself, when two people lie in bed together, they warm each other, and carried him into bed, covered him all over, and laid down by him. After a short time, the dead man became warm too, and began to move. Then said the youth, See, little cousin, have I not warmed thee? 
The dead man, however, got up and cried, Now I will strangle thee. What, said he, is that the way thou thinks me? Thou shalt once again go into thy coffin again. And he took him up and threw him into it and shut the lid. Then came the six men and carried him away again. I cannot manage, manage to shudder, said he. I shall never learn it here as long as I live. Then a man entered who was taller than all the others and looked terrible. He was old, however. He had a long white beard. Thou wrench, cried he. Thou shalt soon learn what it is to shudder, for thou shalt die. Not so fast, replied the youth. If I am to die, I shall have to have a say in it. I will soon seize thee, said the fiend. Softly, softly, do not talk so big. I am strong as thou art, and perhaps even stronger. We shall see, said the old man. If thou art stronger, I will let thee go. Come, we will try. Then he led him by dark passages to the smith's forge, took an axe, and with one blow struck the anvil to the ground. I can do better still, said the youth, and went to the other anvil. The old man placed himself near and wanted to look on, and his white, his white haired hung down, and the youth seized the axe, split the anvil with one blow, and struck the old man's beard with it. Now I have thee, said the youth, now it is thou who will have to die. And he seized the iron bar and beat the old man till he moaned and entrenched him to stop. And he would give him the great riches. The youth drew out the axe and let him go. The old man led him back into the castle and in the cellar showed him three chestfuls of gold. Of these said he, one part is for the poor, the other is for the king, and the third is thine. In the meantime it struck twelve, and the spirits disappeared, and the youth therefore was left in the darkness. I shall still be able to find my way out, said he, and felt about, found the way into the room, and slept there by his fire. Next morning the king came and said, Now thou must have learned what shuddering is. No, he replied, what can it be? My dead cousin was here, and a bearded man came and showed me a great deal of money down below, but no one has told me what it was to shudder. Then said the king, Thou have delivered the castle, and thou shalt marry my daughter. That is all very well, said he, but I still do not know how to shudder. Then the gold was brought up, and the wedding celebration. But however much the young king loved his wife, and how happy he was, he still always said, If I could but shudder, if I could but shudder. And at last she was angry at this. He, her waiting maid said, I will find a cure for him. He shall sh soon learn what it is to shudder. She went out to the stream, with flower, which flowered through the garden, and had a whole bucket full of gudgeons brought to her. At night, when the young king was sleeping, his wife was to draw the clothes off him and empty the bucket full of water with gallons in it over him, so that the little fishes would sprawl about him. When that was done, he woke up and cried, Oh, what makes me shudder so? What makes me shudder so, dear wife? Ah, now I know what it is to shudder. Aesop's Fables This has come to the most commonly accepted name for the well-known collection of stories about animals, 
though we cannot be sure that any of them were written by the Greek slave of that name who, Herodotus tells us, lived about the year 550 BC. The fable about animals is probably the oldest form of story known. Its object is to teach lessons to men and women without seeming to do so, and because of this concealed lesson, it has always been a great favorite with all nations. In Russia, for example, where a man did not dare to say what he thought about a government officer, he would tell a fable about the dog and the manger. The Town Mouse and the Country Mouse now you must know that a town mouse once upon a time went on a visit to his cousin in the country. He was rough and really ready, this cousin, but he really loved his town friend and made him a hearty welcome. Beans and bacon, cheese and bread were all that he had to offer, but he offered them freely. The town mouse rather turned up his long nose at this country fair and said, I cannot understand, cousin, how you can put up with such poor food as this, but of course you cannot expect anything better in the country. Come you with me, and I will show you how to live. When you have been in town a week, you will wonder how you could ever have stood a country life. No sooner said he than done, the two mice set off to the town and arrived at the town mouse's residence late at night. You will want some refreshments after our long journey, said the polite town mouse, and took his friend into the grand dining room. There they found the remains of a fine feast, and soon upon the two mice were eating up all the jellies and cakes, and all that was nice. Suddenly they heard growling and barking. What is that? said the country mouse. It is only the dogs of the house, answered the other. Only, said the country mouse. I do not like that music at my dinner. Just at that the moment the door flew open, and in came two large two huge mastiffs, and the two mice had to scamper down and run off. Goodbye, cousin, said the country mouse. What's going on so soon? The other said, yes, he replied. Better beans and bacon in peace than cakes and ale in fear. The man, the boy, and the donkey. A man and his son were once going with their donkey to market. As they were walking along by the side of the country, by the side, a countryman passed them and said, You fools, what is a donkey for but to ride upon? So the man put the boy on the donkey, and they went on their way. But soon they passed a group of men, one of whom said, Seize that lazy youngster. He lets his father walk while he rides. So the man ordered the boy to get off and go on himself. But they had not gone far when they passed two women, one of whom said to the other, Shame on that lazy lout to let the poor little son trudge along. Well, the man didn't know what to do, but at last he took the, his boy up before him on the donkey. By this time they had come down to the town, and the passengers began to jeer and point at them. The man stopped and asked what they were scoffing at. The man said, Aren't you ashamed of yourself for overloading that poor donkey of yours, you and your hulking son? The man and the boy got off and tried to think of what to do. They thought and they thought, till at last they cut down a pole and tied the donkey's feet to it and raised the pole and the donkey onto their shoulders. They went along amid laughter and all who met them till they came to Market Bridge, where the donkey, getting 
one of its feet loose, kicked out, and caused the boy to drop his end of the pole, and the struggling donkey fell over the bridge, and his four feet being tied together, he was drowned. And I will teach you, said an old man who had followed them, please all, and you will please none. The Shepherd's Boy There was once a young shepherd who tended his sheep at the at the foot of the mountain near the dark forest it was rather lonely for him all day so he thought upon a plan by which he could get a little company and some excitement he rushed down toward the village calling out wolf wolf and the villagers came out to meet him and some of them stopped with him for a considerable time this pleased the boy so much that a few days after he cried tried the same trick and again the villagers came to help but shortly after this, a wolf actually did come out from the forest and began to worry and began to worry the sheep and The boy, of course, cried out "Wolf, wolf," and still louder than before, but this time the villagers who had been fooled twice before thought the boy was again deceiving them, and nobody stirred to come to his help. So the wolf made a good meal off the boy's flock, and when the boy complained, the wise man of the village said, "A liar will not be believed." even when he speaks the truth. Androcles A slave named Androcles once escaped from his master and fled to the forest. He was wandering about. There he came upon a lion lying down, moaning and groaning. At first he turned to flee, but finding that the lion did not pursue him, he turned back and went up to him. As he came near, the lion put out his paw, which was all swollen and bleeding, and Dracules found a large thorn had got into it, and was causing all the pain. He pulled out the thorn and bound the bound up the paw of the lion, who was soon able to rise and lick the hand of Androcles like a dog. Then the lion took Androcles to his cave, and every day used to bring him meat for which to live. But shortly afterwards, both Androcles and the lion were captured, and the slave was sentenced to be thrown to the lion after the latter had been kept without food for several days. The emperor and all his court came to see the spectacle, and Atrocles was led out in the middle of the arena. Soon the lion was let loose from his den and rushed bounding and roaring towards his victim. But as soon as he came near Atrocles, he recognized his friend and fawned upon him, and licked his hand like a friendly dog. The emperor, surprised at this, summoned Atrocles to him, who told the whole story, whereupon the slave was pardoned and freed, and the lion let loose to his native forest. Gratitude is a sign of noble souls. The Fox and the Stork At one time, the fox and the stork were on visiting terms and seeing very good friends, so the fox invited the stork to dinner, and for a joke put nothing before her but some soup in a very shallow dish. This the fox could easily lap up, but the stork could not only wet the end of her long bill in it and left the meal as hungry as when she began. I am sorry, said the fox. The soup is not to your liking. Pray do not apologize, said the stork. I hope you will return this visit and come and dine with me soon. So a day was appointed when the fox should visit and the stork, but when they were seated at the table, all that was there for dinner contained a very long 
necked jar with a narrow mouth in which the fox could not insert his snout so all he could manage to do was lick the outside of the jar i will not apologize for the dinner said the stork one bad turn deserves another the crow and the pitcher a crow half dead with thirst came upon a pitcher which had once been full of water but when the crow put its beak into the mouth of the pitcher he found that only very little water was left in it and that he could not reach far enough to get at it he tried and he tried but at last had to give up in despair then a thought came to him and he took a pebble and dropped it into it the pitcher then took another dropped it into the pitcher then he took another pebble and dropped it into the pitcher then he took another pebble and dropped that into the pitcher then he took another pebble then dropped that into the pitcher then he took another and dropped it into the pitcher at last he saw that the water mount up near him and after casting a few more pebbles he was able to quench his thirst and save his life little by little does the trick the frog desiring a king the frog living as happy as he could be in a marshy swamp that just suited them they went splashing about caring for nobody and nobody troubling with them but some of them thought that this was not right that they should have a king and a proper constitution so they determined to set up a pension to jove to give them what they wanted mighty jove they cried send unto us a king that will rule over and keep us in order jove laughed at their croaking and threw down into the swamp a huge log which came down could splash into the swamp the frogs were frightened out of their lives by the commotion made in their midst and all rushed to the bank to look upon the horrible monster but after that time seeing that it did not move one or two of the bolts of them ventured out toward the log and even dared to touch it still it did not move then the greatest hero of the frogs jumped the log and commenced dancing up, up and down upon it thereupon all the frogs came and did the same for sometimes the frogs went about their business every day without taking in the slightest notice of the new king log laying in their midst but this did not suit them so they sent another petition to jove and said to him we want a real king one that will rule over us now this made jove angry so he sent and sent among them a big stork that soon set to work gobbling them all up and the frogs repented when it was too late better no rule than cruel rule the frog and the ox oh father said a little frog to the big one sitting by the side of a pool i have seen such a terrible monster it was as big as a mountain with horns on its head and a long tail and it had hoofs divided in two tush child tush said the old frog that was only farmer white's ox it's farmer white's ox it isn't big either he may be a little bit taller than i but i could easily make myself quite as broad you see and he blew himself out and blew himself out and blew himself out he was as big as that he asked oh much bigger than that said the young frog and again the old one blew himself asked 
and asked the young one if the ox was as big as that. Bigger, father, bigger, was the reply. So the frog took a deep breath and blew and blew and blew and swelled and swelled and swelled. And then he said, I'm sure the ox isn't as big as, but the, at that moment he burst. Self-conceit may lead to self-destruction. The Cock and the Pearl A cock was once strutting up and down the farmyard among the hens when suddenly he espies something shining in the straw. Oh, oh, quoth he, that's for me, and soon rooted it out from beneath the straw. What did it turn out to be but a pearl that some by chance had lost in the yard? You may be a treasure, quoted the master cock, to men that prize you, but for me I would rather have a single barley corn than a peck of pearls. Precious things are for those that can prize them. The Fox Without a Tail It happened that a fox caught its tail in a trap, and struggling to release himself, lost all of it but the stump. At first he was ashamed to show himself among his fellow foxes, but at last he determined to put on a bolder face upon his misfortune, and summoned all the foxes to a general meeting to consider a proposal which he had to place before him. When they had assembled together, the fox proposed that they should all do away with their tails. He pointed out how inconvenient the tail was when they were pursued by their enemies, the dog how much it was in the way when they desired to sit down and hold a friendly conversation with one another. He failed to see any advantage in carrying about them such a useless encumbrance. That is all very well, said one of the older foxes, but I do not think you would recommend us to dispense with our chief ornament if you had not happened to lose it yourself. Distrust and Interested Advice The Fox and the Cat A fox was boasting a cat its clever devices for escaping its enemies. I have a whole bag of tricks, said he, which contains a hundred ways of escaping my enemies. I have only one, said the cat, but I can generally manage with generally manage with that. Just at that moment, they heard a cry of a pack of hounds coming toward them. The cat immediately scampered up a tree and hid himself in the brows. This is my plan, said the cat. What are you going to do? The fox thought first of only one way, then another, and while he was debating, the hounds came nearer and nearer, and at last the fox, in his confusion, was caught up by the hounds and soon killed by the huntsman. Miss Puss, who had been looking on, said, Better one safe way than a hundred, which you cannot reckon. The Dog in the Manger Dog in the Manger A dog, looking out for its afternoon nap, jumped into the manger of an ox and lay there cosily upon the straw. But soon the ox, returning from its afternoon work, came up to the manger and wanted to eat some of the straw. The dog, in a rage, awakened from its slumber, stood and barked at the ox, and whenever it came near, attempted to bite it. At last the ox had to give up the hope of getting at the straw, and went away muttering, Ah, people often grudge others what they cannot enjoy themselves. The Fox and the Goat By an unlucky chance, a fox fell into a deep well from which he could not get out. A goat passed by and shortly afterward asked the fox what he was doing down there. 
Oh, have you not heard, said the fox, there is going to be a great drought, so I jumped down here in order to be sure to have water by me. Why don't you come down too? The goat thought well of his advice and jumped down into the well, but the fox immediately jumped on the back and by putting his foot on her long horns managed to jump up to the edge of the well. Goodbye, friend, said the fox. Remember, next time, never trust the advice of a man in difficulties. Belling the Cat Long ago, the mice held a general council to consider what measures they could take to outwit their common enemy, the cat. Some said that, some said this and some said that, but at last a young mouse who got up and said he had a proposal to make which he thought would meet the case. You will all agree, said he, that our chief danger consists in the slightly treacherous manner in which the enemy approaches us. Now if we could receive some signal of her approach, we could easily escape from her. I venture therefore to propose that a small bell be procured and attached to the ribbon round the neck of the cat. By this means we should always know when the, she was about and could easily retire when she was in the neighborhood. This proposal met with general applause until an old mouse got up and said, That is all very well, but who is going to bell the cat? The mice looked around at one another and nobody spoke. And then the mouse said, It is easy to propose impossible remedies. The Jay and the Peacock A Jay venturing into the yard where peacocks used to walk found there a number of feathers which had fallen from the peacock, and when they were molting, he said to tie, he had tied them all to his tail and strutted around toward the peacock. When he came near them, they soon discovered the cheat, and striding up to him, pecked at him and plucked away his borrowed plumes, so the jay could do no better than go back to the other jays who had watched his behavior from a distance, but they were equally annoyed with him and told him, Do not, it is not only fine feathers that make fine birds. The Ass and the Lapdog A farmer one day came to the stables to see his beasts of burden. Among them was his favorite ass that had always fed, has always well fed and often carried his master. With the farmer came his lapdog, who danced about and licked his hand and frisked about as happy as he could be. The farmer felt in his pocket and gave the lapdog some dainty food and sat down while he gave his orders to his servant. The lapdog jumping into the master's lap and lay there blinking while the farmer stroked his ears. The ass seeing this broke loose from his halter and commenced prancing about in imitation of the lapdog. The farmer could not hold his sides with laughter, so the ass went up to him and putting his feet upon the farmer's shoulders attempted to climb into his lap. The farmer's servants rushed up with sticks and pitchforks and soon taught the ass. Clumsy jesting is no joke. The Ant and the Grasshopper In a field one summer's day, a grasshopper was hopping about, chirping and singing to its heart's content. An ant passed by, bearing along the great toil of ear of a corn he was taking to nest. Why not come and chat with me, said the grasshopper, instead of trolling and moling in that way. I'm helping to lay up food for the winter, said the ant, 
and recommend you do the same. Why bother about winter, said the grasshopper. We have plenty of food at present. But the ant went on its way and continued its toil. Then the winter came when the grasshopper had no food and found itself dying of hunger while it saw the ants' distribution every day corn and grain from the stores they had collected in the summer. Then the grasshopper knew it is best to prepare for the days of necessity. The Woodman and the Serpent One weathery day, a woodman was trapping home from his work when he saw something black lying on the snow. When he came closer, he saw it was a serpent to all appearance dead, but he took it up and put it in his bosom and warmed while he hurried home. As soon as he got indoors, he put the serpent down on the heath before the fire. The children watched as it they saw it slowly come to life again. Then one of them stooped down to stroke it, but the serpent raised its head and put out its fangs and was about to sting the child to death. So the woodman seized his axe with one stroke, cut the serpent in two. Ah, he said, no gratitude from the wicked. The milkmaid and her pail. Patty the milkmaid was going to market, carrying her milk in a pail on her head. As she went along, she began calculating what she would do with the money she would get for the milk. I'll buy some fowls from the farmer Brown, said she, and they will lay eggs each morning, which I will sell to the person's wife. With the money I will get from the sales of these things, I will buy myself a new dimity frock and a chip hat, and when I go to market, won't all the young men come up and speak to me? Polly Shaw will be that jealous, but I don't care. I shall look at her and toss my head like this. As she spoke, she tossed her head back, and the pail fell off it, and all the milk was spilled. So she had to go home and tell her mother what had occurred. Ah, oh, my child, she said. Ah, oh, my child, said her mother. Don't count your chickens before they are hatched. The Lion and the Mouse Once, when a lion was asleep, a little mouse began running up and down upon him. This soon awakened the lion, who placed his huge paws upon him and opened his big paws to swallow him. Parting, O king, cried the little mouse, forgive me this time. I shall never forget it. Who knows but what I may be able to do for you a turn of some of these days. The lion was so tickled at the idea of the mouse being able to help him that he lifted up his paw and let him go. Sometime after the lion was caught in a trap, the hunters who desired to carry him alive to the king tied him to a tree while they went in search of a wagon to carry him on. Just then the little mouse happened to pass by, and seeing him sad plight in which the lion was, went up to him and soon gnawed away at the ropes that bound the king of the beasts. Was I not right, said the little mouse? Little friends may prove great friends. Hercules and the Wagoneer A wagoneer was once driving a heavy load among, along a very muddy way. At last he came to a part of the road where the wheels sank halfway into the mire, and the more the horses pulled, the deeper sank the wheel. So the wagoneer threw down his whip, and he knelt down and prayed to Hercules the Strong, O oh, Hercules, help me, in this my hour of distress, quote he. But Hercules appeared to him and said, Tut, man, don't sprawl there. Get up and put your shoulders to the wheel. The gods help them that help themselves.
the lion's share. The lion went once a-hunting along with a fox, the jackal and the wolf. They hunted, they all hunted till at last they surprised a, st they surprised a snag and took its life. Then came the question of how the spoil should be divided. Quarter me this, stag, roared the lion, so the other animal skinned it and cut it into four parts. Then the lion took his stand in front of the carcass and pronounced judgment. The first quarter is for me and my capacity as king of beasts. The second is mine as arbiter. Another share comes to me for my part in the chase. As far as the fourth quarter, well, as for that, I should like to see which of you will dare lay a paw upon it. Humph grumbled the fox as he walked away with his tail between his legs, but he spoke in a low growl. You may share the labor of the great, but you will not share the spoil. The Fox and the Crow A fox once saw a crow fly off with a piece of cheese in its beak and settle on a branch of a tree. That's for me, as I am the fox, said Master Renard, and he walked up to the foot of the tree. Good day, Mistress Crow, he cried. How well are you looking today? How glossy your feathers, how bright your eye. I'm sure you've, your voice must surpass that of other birds, just as your figure does. Let me hear but one strong from you, that I may greet you as queen of the birds. The crow lifted up her head and began to caw her best, but the moment she opened her mouth, the piece of cheese fell to the ground, only to be snapped up by Master Fox. That will do, said he. That is all I wanted. In exchange for your cheese, I will give you a bit of advice for the future. Do not trust flatterers. The Dog and the Shadow it happened that a dog had got a piece of meat and was carrying it home in his mouth to eat in peace. Now, on his way home, he had to cross a plank lying across the running brook. As he crossed, he looked down and saw his own shadow reflecting in the waters beneath, thinking it was another dog with another piece of meat. He made up his mind to have that also, so he made a snap at the shadow in the water, but as it opened its mouth, the piece of meat fell out and dropped into the water, and was never seen more. Beware, at least you lose the substance by grasping at the shadow. The Wolf and the Lamb Once upon a time a wolf was lapping at a spring on a hillside, when looking up, what should he see but a lamb just beginning to drink a little lower down? There's my supper, thought he. If only I can find some excuse to seize it. Then he called out to the lamb, How dare you muddy the water from which I am drinking? Nay, master, nay, said Lambkin. If I, if the water be muddy up there, I cannot be the cause of it, for it runs down from you to me. Well then, said the wolf, Why did you call me bad names this time last year? That cannot be, said the lamb. I am only six months old. I don't care, snarled the wolf. If it was not you, it was your father, and with that he rushed upon the poor lamb. War, war, war. He ate her all up, but before she died she grasped out, any excuse will serve a tyrant. The Bat, the Birds, and the Beasts A great conflict about what about to come off between birds and the beasts, when two armies were collected together, the bat hesitated which to join. The birds that passed his pitch 
come with us. But he said, I am a beast. Later on, some beasts who were passing underneath looked upon him and said, come with us. But he said, I am a bird. Luckily, at that last moment, peace was made and no battle took place. So the bat came to the birds and wished to join their wished to join their rejoicings. But they all turned against him and he had to fly away. Then he went to the beast, but soon had to beat a retreat, or else they would have torn him to pieces. Ah, said the bat, I see now. He that is neither one thing nor another has no friends. The belly of the, the belly and the members. One fine day, it occurred to the members of the body that they were all doing, that they were doing all the work, and the belly was having all the food. So they held a meeting, and after a long discussion, decided to strike work till the belly consented to take its proper share of the work. So for a day, the two hands and the two hands refused to take the food, the mouth refused to receive it, and the teeth had no work to do. But after a day or two, the members began to find that they themselves were not in very active condition. The hands could hardly move, and the mouth was all parched and dry, while the legs were unable to support the rest. So thus they found that even the belly, in its, quiet, in its dull, quiet way, was doing necessary work for the body, and that all must together work, all must together, or the all must work together, or the body will go into pieces. The fox and the grapes. One hot summer day, a fox was trolling through an orchard till it came to a bunch of grapes just ripening on a vine, which had been trained over a lofty branch. Just as things, just the thing to quench my thirst, quoted he. Drawing back a few paces, he took a run and a jump, and just missed the bunch. Turning around again, with a one, two, three, he jumped up with no greater success. Again and again he tried after the tempting morsel, but at last had to give up, and walked away with his nose in the air, saying, I am sure that they are sour. It is easy to despise what you cannot get. The Swallow and the Other Birds it happened that a countryman was sowing some hemp seeds in a field where a swallow and some other birds were hopping, about picking up their food. Beware of that man, quoted the swallow. Why, what is he doing, said the others. That is hemp seed he is sowing. Be careful to pick up every one of the seeds, or else you will repent it. The birds paid no heed to the swallow's words, and by and by the hemp grew up, and made he made it into a cord. And of the cords, nets were made, and many birds that had despised the swallow's advice was caught in the nets made out of the very hemp. What did I tell you, said the swallow? Destroy the seeds or evil, or it will grow up to, or it will grow up to your ruin. I want to thank everyone for listening to this uh, episode of the Fortations Live to Tape podcast. We just finished the Junior Classics Volume 1, so next week I'm going to uh, search around and find another book. Uh, I want to thank everyone for coming out. In the links below, there are ways you can uh, support this podcast and this series, and I do uh, a couple of specials. Um, I'm experimenting with NFTs. I do photo sales. 
um, actually I'm a photographer and uh, I sell uh, travel photos on my uh, website. So you can visit those links down below. I want to thank everyone. See you next time. Bye-bye.